to Don't You Want Me, a podcast series taking a light-hearted look at the most relatable, intriguing and dysfunctional relationships in film. I'm Rich. I'm Kat. What underwear am I wearing? Hmm. Oh, I'm sorry, I embarrassed you, didn't I? Oh, no. I did. No, 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 not at all, Miss Lane. It's just that this platter must be made of lead. Uh, yes, it is, so? Oh, you see, I, uh, I sort of have a problem seeing through lead. Oh, that's interesting. Problem since there's Hmm. Uh, do, uh, do you have a first name? What do you mean, like uh, Ralph or something? No, no, I mean like. Uh, Pink. Huh? Pink. Um, sorry, Miss Lane. I didn't mean to embarrass you. In this episode, we're talking about Richard Donner's Superman from the year 1978, with a screenplay by Mario Puzo, David Newman, Leslie Newman, and Robert Benton, and based on the DC Comics character created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster. This would come to be recognised among many as the godfather of superhero films. Helping us fight for truth, justice and the American way tonight are Clark Kent and Superman, played by Christopher Reeve, and Lois Lane, played by Margot Kidder. As one of the most notorious love triangles in the history of popular culture, is this just the basis of a simple adventure story, or could it unlock the secrets of the universe? Now, Rich, if you wouldn't mind indulging me, since this is a podcast about relationships, I was wondering whether you could tell us a little bit about your relationship to this film because I know it means a lot to you where do we begin my relationship with this film I I imagine goes back to when I was probably four or five and I saw it for the first time and it's one of those films that I've watched more as I got older and there's just every time I watch it there seems to be something new that I haven't seen before or I've read something about it um, and having seen it dozens of times prior to this, and now I'm getting to watch it with a new pair of eyes in the Don't You Want Me Eyes, and looking at the relationships between um, Clark and Superman and Lois, um, it's easy to forget that Clark and Superman are, in many respects, two different people, and, and certainly that's how Lois sees them. So coming at it in that way is another refreshing way because you know from previous episodes we've talked about some of the reasons why this is interesting and there's a balance in who's got the power between it's normally between two people in this case it's kind of three but I mean from, from your point of view as someone who hasn't seen it certainly as many times as I probably have and, and from a love triangle point of view how would you see the the balance between them and and the how do you think it's juggled effectively that's a big question isn't it it's so interesting one thing that i heard and you will already know about this is the section in kill bill 2 when they talk about superman and they make the distinction between him and the other superheroes where they say that he is someone that's already in his costume rather than someone that puts on a costume. And when he's Clark Kent, that's the costume that he puts on, uh, which is kind of a reversal of some of the other superheroes. And that Clark Kent is how Superman thinks the rest of us are. So that, (laughs) that kind of blundering, sort of awkward not very good necessarily at courtship kind of person is how Superman sees 
all of us when we're going about our daily lives trying to date and so on and so forth. And I think that that's an interesting theory, whether or not one agrees with that, uh, to think about when you're watching the film and, yeah, you're, you're wondering whether that makes him, Superman, kind of maybe almost like a sort of figment of... Lois's imagination almost like a sort of fantasy figure. I don't know what you think about that. Uh, well, definitely, because in the, the love triangle, we've also got two versions of Lois because she acts completely differently with Clark than she does with Superman. With, with Superman, she's nervous. She's like a schoolgirl with a teenage crush, the way she acts around him a fair bit of the time. The, the part where he takes her on a flight and she does the can you read my mind poem song thing she's in you know she, she sees this guy as this sort of icon and yet with Clark she talks not down to him but she she's a lot more confident a lot more outgoing she's quite bossy with him knowing that he is playing this kind of bumbling mild-mannered person with a crush on her yeah. um, and she reacts so differently to him and it's, it's strange that, that the whole concept that Superman is actually the real person and yet when you see them acting in, in their various roles in this movie I, I find it quite interesting that when he's playing as Clark he's almost spying on Lois because she has no idea that that they're two people also, oh, that they're one person, um, and obviously that that's something that gets explored in the sequel. But at this point, Clark and Superman, two totally different people, and Clark is using the information that she gives him when he's Superman, and also when he leaves the note saying tonight at eight, your place, a friend. Yeah. Because the first rescue sequence, he refers to himself as a friend, and it's strange that unknowingly and, and somewhat covertly. He sees both sides of Lois, and I wasn't. I mean, in this film, he doesn't use it for any sort of end. There's no particular advantage gained, other than he forms more of an emotional attachment with her. But um, I mean, from would you say that from Lois's point of view, that that would be perfectly normal behaviour <laughs> to act differently, to act differently with, you know, so, someone you fancy and, and someone who fancies you. I guess like a secret crush. Uh, do you mean that you can you can sense the attraction, therefore that changes your behaviour? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a that's definitely something that happens, isn't it? And that's so interesting what you say about the fact that he can he can um, watch her with another man, basically through having these having this double identity because that is quite voyeuristic, isn't it? Yeah, you're 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 almost sort of t- testing testing the waters of what it might be like if you if you took on a different persona with someone. It's kind of like a, I suppose it's not massively different, is it, to how certain other films like Groundhog Day might explore that idea of if you have a number of goes with someone to get it right. I suppose Superman or rather Clark kind of has that has that insight with um, Lois when he when he visits her as Superman he's not he doesn't have everything invested in in quite the same way and he can maybe I don't know relax more I suppose does that seem likely to you well no I think it, I mean it's, it's fair um I suppose you, you've kind of 
in that weird strange strange place where if you are to use a, a word courting someone i guess in in some ways you'd be wondering oh are they thinking about me are they talking about me and something that again gets explored is that superman knows that lois is thinking about him talking about him because she's also working in an environment where she has to know what he's doing you know her her mission at the newspaper is to sort of get an interview with him so she know like uh, clark knows that her focus is on superman yes and seems to both thrive on it and take you know he's literally taking notes to use later on but it is amusing that it's one of those parodied things that how can she not tell that Clark Kent is Superman you know these two six foot four guys appear out of nowhere probably on the same day Mm. um, into her life and yet there's one sequence after the when they've been on the rooftop and they've been flying and, and Clark arrives you know because he thinks that he left the card in lois's book you know it's actually from him yeah he thinks he's turning up for a date and says oh i'm going to take you out for a hamburger you know show you the time of your life (laughs) and all he does he takes off his glasses changes his body language and suddenly he grows about five inches it's amazing yeah i mean it's, it's something that you see like you know, just because Superman has a pair of glasses and parts his hair on the, the other side of his head. But it's not just that. It's the the shrug. It's the chest being puffed out. It's what you'd expect from the Superman comics. And yet Clark Kent literally shrinks into a normal person. Yes. And, you know, Lois is fooled by it because, to be honest, it, it's so well done. But I, I do find it interesting you know from that point of view that the two people who are the same but there is such a distinction between the character and to be honest quite physically as well if if you agree completely do you think that's meant to be a comment on how we could all do more successfully in our personal lives just if we if we thought more about how we were carrying ourselves with regards to I don't know things like self-love self-belief all of that jazz (laughs) I, I guess so. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there are people who probably get paid a lot of money who talk about body language and confidence and, you know, how to portray yourself at a job interview, for example. Yes. And they'll say, you know, I mean, obviously the basic thing is make eye contact. But if you stand up straight and put your chest out and you know, don't slouch, then, you know, they're basic things that almost it, it wouldn't be difficult to sort of have that in the back of your mind thinking, you know, I feel bigger taller more powerful is literally like taking your glasses off and and becoming superman i mean it's an easy lesson to learn and you see how much and it isn't just for lois's benefit you know it's not him trying to conceal himself from lois it's concealing himself from everyone but to do it with that the skill because when you see other iterations of superman Hmm. they don't really do it no you know the, the most you get is literally a pair of glasses. Yeah. I think that's what loses a lot of the magic, and that's the, the rapport between Superman and, and Lois in particular. It, it's compelling because you see her change, you see him change just because he's put his pants on outside his trousers. <laughs> I think that rooftop date is my favourite scene of any superhero film that I've seen. 
it's so it's so beautiful it's like the chemistry is fantastic and there's something really charming about it and both of them play it really really with kind of a you know I, I think you could use it as an example of just um just a simple scene between two people that have great chemistry that are really making making everything out of out of you know just you know the just little flirtatious lines but I you know I like how she's so convincingly flustered and how he even though he's reprimanding her about the smoking and saying that he's not going to drink there's something about the kind of under, underlying underlying tension about that scene that I think is really is really lovely and do you think it's is it the benchmark for every date I I think it should be I mean I I could only imagine having the I was going to say having the balls but having the the absolute confidence of someone asking you if if you have a girlfriend and saying if I did you'd be the first to know about it (laughs) I mean that is pure big cape energy just you know sitting there going I know you want me it is <laughs> to, to play on the, the name of the podcast. You know, he's got such confidence that she's attracted to him. Yeah. But because it's reciprocated, it works. I mean, you could imagine watching a really awful reality TV show between two people and someone tries a line like that and it goes horribly, horribly wrong. Yeah. Um, as you say, the whole sequence, everything from, from him arriving to the flight and of course there's the moment where she slips and, and everything but um and all the way round to the other side where he flies off becomes Clark and she's just completely gone to pieces yeah um, she's like literally high on Superman yeah um if it were anyone else but Clark you'd feel sorry for him yeah but in his case you know she I mean she even stumbles and saying that's Clark nice because she can't get her words out. Um, <laughs> and he gives that little wink of just like, yep, <laughs> done. I think it's really interesting when I was watching this and probably gives gives you a bit of an insight into the weird way that I think. And also the fact that I didn't have, um, I didn't have the memory. I'm sure I will have seen it when I was little. I didn't have that memory. So I was just approaching it as an adult. And, there's something about that date scene with the lines. I mean, it's so it's so filled with innuendo. The rest of your bodily functions are normal. You know, do you have a girlfriend? Do you eat? You do, of course you do. And then the whole, you know, what colour underwear, underwear am I wearing? And then, then there's the flight and you have her monologue. And do you know, and lines like, do you know what it is that you do to me? Here I am, like a kid out of school, holding hands with a god, quivering, shivering. Can you picture the things I'm thinking of? It's almost a bit like something like Justify My Love, but, you know, in a super, Superman film. And it feels almost like when, once she touches down, then she's back with Clark. You kind of think that almost, that whole sequence felt a bit like kind of just like a sort of fantasy like a quite an innocent one but a sort of sort of like sexual fantasy about someone and it has that otherworldly dreamlike feeling and then you're back down to earth and you're about to meet someone for a date do you know what I mean 
Well, yeah, because ne- next time I watch it, I'm, I'm almost going to picture it being sung by Madonna. Like you say, I mean, they've gone in from her point of view now, and it shows that she has that reaction to being with Superman, to being with this guy. To to put it in one cliche, is like it, she feels like he's almost out of her league because she refers to him as a god. That that gets explored in other stories and, and Superman myths. I mean, you, you find that despite the fact that they have such limited screen time, when you kind of go into the technicalities that this was technically meant to be, that this and the second film are meant to be one story um, and they ended up being split in two. Because when you go into the second film and it's all about their relationship in the way that, you know, I'm saying we should do the sequel at some point, but um, mm. he, spoiler alert for a 40-year-old film, he <coughs> gives up his powers and every all of his powers to be with her. And then it all goes horribly wrong and because Marlon Brando told him not to do it and he did it anyway. And the moral of the story is that Marlon Brando is always right. <laughs> but there's something, you know, in, in the limited time they have together that it feels almost, it doesn't, it feels almost genuine and that it's not forced. I mean, I, I know I sent you the, the clips on YouTube. Did you see it going that way that they'd be so in love at that point, that he would be prepared to sacrifice everything for her. Oh, I don't. Um, in terms of in terms of Superman, I suppose I suppose you get to see you get to see that lovely date between them, and then you also get to see a very raw reaction to her death from him at the end of the film. And I suppose there is something about seeing him in that state and the way they they kind of make the decision to show that scene between them where you where it leaves you thinking okay there must be something extremely significant about the idea of this person needing to exist in order for superman to be able to continue to do what he needs to do as superman i think that really comes across so it leads from there doesn't it that he might that he might want to to give everything up in order to be with her I guess what I've seen is that there is, earlier in the film, he goes through loss in a way that's explored, certainly not from Lois's point of view. Although, I don't know if you saw the version, um, the little girl on the train that he runs past is is actually supposed to be Lois Lane. Right, okay. Which doesn't explain the age difference or anything like that, but (laughs) loophole, loophole. Um, But we've already seen that his parents die when Krypton explodes and then his earth father dies of a heart attack. And so he's experienced this, these bereavements in, in very different ways, you know, some happened you know, before he knew, but he found about later on. Yeah. So the fact that by the end of the film, like you said, this scene where she dies, he's in such pain because this is another loss he's suffering. I mean, it, obviously it's perfectly normal, but he's in a position where, you know, and he can always say to someone, I love you so much, I'm going to turn back time and stop you from dying. Yes. Yeah. I mean, imagine being able to do that. But yeah. it's having that connection and, and being able to put that into practice. I, I'm sure people have probably given similar lines to you in the past. 
They sung the Cher song to me. Yeah. Yeah, Maybe Superman is Cher. What do you think? Well, I wouldn't be surprised. You know what Cher's like. Cher manages to do everything at the same time. Maybe so. There's There's something about their relationship in this film and watching it now in the moment in time that we're in that felt quite moving to me because it's a kind of this sort of wild optimism about society running smoothly <laughs> and, and in this kind of just like good versus evil sort of way and you have the two of them at the center of it you know in that moment moment early on where he catches her when she's coming off the roof of the building and he says you know I've got you and she says you've got me but who's got you you know it's just such a lovely moment it's so it's so nostalgic for for kind of a a time gone by I don't know don't know what you think about that there's something just inherently make it suddenly sort of makes you feel like this this sort of quite a lot of pathos about like if only if only life could be like this like one of those old films, you know, I suppose on a, the damsel in distress a little bit um, and he's the knight in shining armour or in blue, yellow and red shining armour, I mm. suppose. You know, there is the, while he is put on this planet to protect everyone and, and to do all this and it's interesting as a meet cute falling out of a helicopter and then the helicopter's falling, it's bold. It's, yeah. Um, not the sort of thing you'd see in a, <laughs> Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan movie. But I think that the way that they've met, managed to make it work in a, I'll say in a believable way, but the fact that there is that chemistry between them, yeah. you know, Margot Kidder's performance, a lot of people talk about Christopher Reeve and rightly so, but you know, Margot Kidder in this role portrayed both sides of Lois mm. in a way that isn't often considered. You know, she is this streetwise journalist who's gunning for a Pulitzer Prize who can't spell but she's also the giddy school girl who gets really awkward and and is in awe of Superman yes so um you know and, and it would have been interesting I, I know Stockard Channing she was the other uh, or the other person considered for the the lowest lane role and I mean there's always the kind of what what could have been mm. um and I mean there's this footage of her doing the screen test Oh, really? Oh, I'd love to see that. You know, again, it's like one of those things that it's worked so well. Yeah. You can't really imagine anyone else doing it. And I guess it's something that not just in superhero films, but in other films where there's, you know, that kind of situation where you have to get that casting right. Yeah. And I guess, you know, an equivalent would be a Superman, Superman, but a Spider-Man, a Batman where they've done it in certain films and it's worked really well. I guess it's easy for us to say Michael Keaton and Kim Basinger, but there's also a, in in the Spider-Man movies of Tobey Maguire yeah, Kirsten Dunst, that works quite well as well, albeit they've completely ripped off the plot uh, where he loses his powers. Yeah. uh, Neither here nor there. But (laughs) I think it just goes to show that if, if the relationship's right and you've got the right people, it's believable, even though it's Superman. Yes. And it's Clark Kent. It doesn't really matter if it's written properly and it's acted well. I'd be interested to see a version of this without the superhero and if there was a way of doing it 
and there probably is uh, where you've got basically two people who are different you know the same person playing two characters yeah i mean they'd, they'd probably do it as some kind of bawdy teen comedy well one film that actually i did think about when i was watching this because it came out the year before and was similarly incredibly popular and kind of changed cinema forever in the same way that this did was saturday night fever and that in its own way kind of has a similar sort of idea to the one that you're laying out now which is that john travolta is a completely different person when he goes to the disco as he is at home and um you kind of see quite an an awkward person who's quite lacking in confidence when he's not in the nightclub and when he's in the nightclub he is basically like a dancing superhero he just can't fly um but uh superpower yeah exactly and yeah completely completely you know and and with and in in both cases you're like how the hell did they fit into that they must not have been able to they must have followed some very strict diets and had to work out a lot but um in both films as well another thing that's really interesting is how both christopher reeve and john travolta they're the ones that are being um admired by the camera in both those films and when it's usually women that are being admired. So I, and I don't mean, I don't mean in any way that the women in um, this film uh, and in Saturday Night Fever don't look great. They absolutely do. They look beautiful. But you know what I mean? It's that it's the way the, the camera sort of pans on a body and you're kind of, you're, you're encouraged as the viewer to, to sort of, you know, wonder at the spectacle of, of how kind of like a sort of Greek statue Christopher Reeve looks in his in his Superman getup, and that's really interesting because I think that maybe in films in more recent times, since since then, since maybe this period in the seventies, sometimes that's be, that we've kind of sometimes gone against that again. We've we've regressed a little bit, and we've discouraged. You know, it's gone more sort of conventionally in in the other way to to more often do that to the women in films. And one thing that um. I think it's really great about Margot Kidder in this is it kind of reminded me a little bit of Dan, Dan Keaton in Annie Hall. You know, they're just really, it's just really human performance. It's not, it's not someone who doesn't have flaws. They're not there to, to just sort of live and die by, you know, who, whichever guy might call them on the phone. They're, they're very much in their own narrative. One of the strengths of this is that Lois Lane is, she's at pretty much the top of her profession, or she's doing very well in her profession. And she is in a position where she's the confident one with Clark, at least, in their scenes together. And the scene where, where, where they're mugged in the alleyway, and he claims to faint, even though he literally catches a bullet with his hand, you know, and he faints because that's the pretense I mean, that scene's so iconic in the way that they literally ripped it off shot for shot in Wonder Woman, except, of course, gender flipped it. Yes. But it's, um, I think the fact that she's not just a kind of, she's not there to look at, she's not there as just a token female partner. Um, She's his equal and and she certainly clerks better Mm. in many ways that kind of adds that extra dimension to the relationships between the the two Loises and Clark and Superman. Um, and they play on it at, at various points in the sequels, but in this it's so perfectly done. And the way that it works, you do believe it. Um, yeah. I struggle 
to think of a, a, a superhero film where they've got the, the relationship between you know the superhero and the the human quite so accurate you know we're talking of a film that came out in the 70s that you know, pretty much was the first proper superhero film yeah and since then you know everything has kind of tried to live up to it and of course the effects have changed the the ideas have changed but the core of the film that is written is spot on you yeah know, even looking at it in 2021 there's there's very little that you change even now with you know 2021 eyes um there's not a lot lois is still doing very well at work she's not in any there's an equality there that perhaps wasn't that prevalent in films of that era but is that just with clark though well i mean she's i guess if she's the head or, or one of the sort of senior journalists then you know other than the editor who's her boss who's a man yeah. I, i'd imagine that you know she she's done well and i don't know if it's i mean there weren't many other female journalists there to play devil's advocate is there there's something interesting to me about when she meets superman some of those things that you've just been describing about her 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 toughness her determination the fact that she you know she is incredibly professional all of those things go out the window when she meets superman because actually the questions that she asks him during that day aren't necessarily that professional she's also kind of wearing sort of like margot ledbetter sort of negligee clothing she doesn't you know she's dispensed with of her kind of you know work clothes and also there's all of this this you know the the language surrounding the feeling like a schoolgirl. and i'm sort of wondering is there something in that about the way men quite like the idea possibly that superman can kind of make her leave her bolshiness at the door for a minute you know <laughs> I, I think so i think that's you know again part probably part of the fantasy from, from both <laughs> sides not only can superman fly and be indestructible but he can also reduce a very high functioning female to jelly <laughs> just by sort of looking at her and turning up in in tight lycra yes i mean we all wish we could do it but it's um it, i suppose that's part of it and that's i guess if the film was done now it would be very similar i suppose in that she's in love with him and reduces herself to that because that's how it comes across and and i mean mate, you'd like to think someone might be able to to do it slightly better um, and I guess that's the thing with the newer films. You know, it's Amy Adams. I mean, obviously she's she's a very good actress, and there's less of a difference between Clark and Superman there. Yeah. So she doesn't need to be two separate people either. And I think that's the skill of this one is that you know there there is the flip side, but she's playing two people in, in effect in this. Just yes. as Christopher Reeve is. So. Yes. Well, that's really interesting. What what is it? Do you think that um, what is it about the connection between them, between her and Superman, that is kind of like a benchmark for for so many guys' ideal of the of what a romantic relationship should be? I, I guess there is that thing, you know, is going back to older films of you know being the cowboy who rides off on, into the sunset with the maiden on the back and everything else that there is that you know people probably read someone being a hero as they save the world they get the girl they come out with some 
witty remark. They he catches the bad guy at the end, despite the fact that a nuclear bomb blows up California, but he's able to spin back the world, you know, in, in a way that these days most people would be able to do that by cl- clicking undo on their laptop. <laughs> I, I think it is a yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a fantasy. It's a it's a different take on things, I suppose, and it's. That, that is the fantasy. It's not just the, the flying and the stopping the bullets and being able to see through walls and women's clothes. But I think there's a, the huge part of that is that you, you can make the person you love fall in love with you. I, th- I think there are many films where it doesn't need to be a superhero doing that. And I don't know, someone just has the ultimate chat up line or they yeah. f- flick their hair in a certain way. We talked, when we um, were talking about Casino Royale, we talked about this as well. And I was wondering whether this applies to something like Superman, whether part of the fantasy is the fact that Superman, that there are reasons kind of beyond his control, sort of similar to Bond, that he can have, he can fall in love with the girl and he can get the girl. But there's always a reason why he can't really settle down with the girl. I mean, that's that's explored in the sequel. Yeah. Because ultimately he can't be with her and save the world because he can't devote himself to her if he's going to be saving the world and, and vice versa. And I think Lois refers to like being married to a doctor. When you think that Superman, he does have the weakness, it is the kryptonite. But once you get past that, his real nemesis is kind of choices. And the choices he makes... It's how does he decide to to deal with a particular problem in a in a moral way? Yeah, because in this it is literally like he's here. You know, Lois dies, he flies off angry, going, "I'm going to do something." Here's these voices in his head. My son, it is forbidden for you to interfere in human. One thing I do know, son, and that is you are here for a reason. It is forbidden. Those things I can do, all those powers. I couldn't even save him. Uh, balls to it and does it anyway. Yeah. And that that's the choice he has to make, but then he does it and everything's fine. There's no consequence. Yeah. Whereas the, the need, and I guess maybe that is a minor flaw, where he's presented with a dilemma. He chooses an option that, to be honest, is the one that has no consequence and gets the end result anyway. So I do wonder, in other versions of this, where there needs to be a dilemma that has a negative outcome for him. Yeah. Um, and it is explored. He effectively can't be with Lois Lane. Yeah. You know, if we're looking at this as a standalone movie, there's no negative. And I think that's that's the only issue is that at the end of this film, Lois fancies him. He fancies Lois. We just need to see what their next adventure is. Yes. Yeah, I think... That's the interesting thing about um, some of these kind of love stories, and it's similar to to, uh, Bond films in that way, is that you quite often have have the connection that sort of skirts round the the real sort of the real things that sort of infiltrate most of our day to day lives, like living living with a, a partner or having children with them or or something like that and it becomes about sort of bigger things so a man can't can't become kind of too domesticated with any of the women that fall for him because he's got bigger things on his plate and sort of similar 
a bond in that way, isn't it, Superman? Yeah. And that's the, I think sometimes when you're watching it, well, when when I'm watching it anywhere, I'll kind of, I don't know, but uh, I, it'll it'll suddenly occur to me sometimes where I'll, I'll sort of think, is is this all sort of, um, I don't know, like, the, is 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 there a part of it that's sort of an, anti the the kind of the real the real mess of of love, if you know what I mean? I wonder if this was part of the the original plan, but they've kind of had to to live with okay we'll give this percentage of the movie to the relationship mm, yeah and and present it that way because i can that's the sort of thing that maybe if they if they do a tv series you've got more chance to explore these things but th- there is that that reality at the end of the day where can he have his cake and eat it and according to the end of this film yes he can yeah and it's a lovely cake i'm sure <laughs> um, any more at home like you uh not really no I think so. It feels because another thing that's striking, isn't it? Touching on another relationship is uh, at the beginning of the film how much his father seems to be significant in comparison to his mother. Yeah, but then there's a whole Jesus thing going right. on yeah. with Superman and has been since the beginning, and that's kind of the the other comparison that gets drawn. I mean, we could probably do a relationship between. Superman and his dad or dads um, and how the dad is still present even though he's dead Um, well if you had if you had Marlon Brando as your dad you'd probably you'd feel his his presence wouldn't you yeah you would and you know again we're going too far into the sequel for contractual reasons Marlon Brando was unavailable and he had a he suddenly developed a very strong bond with his mother (laughs) because his mother was contractually obliged to be there right okay so so that that kind of got there (laughs) money talks yes (laughs) he still tries to do what his dad tells him and there's a couple of scenes in in the extended version of this where marlon brando does treat him like a child there is a a much more father-son relationship than you know something than two adults and you're kind of reminded of that it's, it's interesting to see, you know, when, when you look at the relationships and it isn't just Kal-El, Superman, Clark with Lois, you know, there's, I mean, the, the villains in this film and the relationships between Lex Luthor and Miss Teshmarker and, and Otis as well, you kind of feel like Miss Teshmarker is kept there like a, she's almost like a semi-hostage. Yeah. In her way, I mean, and now, now there's someone who is sexualized. In, in a in a couple of scenes in particular. Yes. And and Lex Luthor keeps her around. She's almost like a, a gangster's mole in some ways, but she wants out and when she kisses Superman. I mean, is that was that a relationship that you think would be something that stood out for you? Uh well the the moment where she she says to him, So why did why did you kiss me? And she says, Because I thought you wouldn't let me later. I thought that again, that what I was saying earlier about this idea of the the women in this film being the the ones that are kind of chasing chasing Superman around, sort of objectifying him. Those whole scenes uh, with her and and Lex Luthor they kind of reminded me of a Mel Brooks film or maybe one of the Pink Panther movies, and it kind of sh- shifts it into that into that sort of um, territory. It's pretty funny. Um, I have a question for you. Why does Superman let Lois fall? I think because he doesn't have to. I, I think there is an element. 
perhaps subconsciously of him almost showing off and reminding her of kind of the peril that she's in and that he's her saviour. Mm. I mean, he'd already caught her out of a helicopter the, the night before, just in case she forgot and hasn't gone through some sort of post-traumatic stress disorder. But it's it's a weird thing that it brings them closer together, I guess. Um, he catches her and they're kind of in a proper embrace. Yeah. And they're not just holding hands. Mm. And it's almost like he's he's engineered it some kind of smooth move to get a little bit closer to her. If putting her in fear of her life, if, if he gets off on that, then uh, he's got issues. <laughs> well, if that whole scene, if that whole sequence is the thing that I think it is, or or thought it might be, which is just um, Lois's sexual fantasy, then him letting her fall and catching her again, who knows what that is meant to represent. <laughs> um, but um, do you think Superman is a bit of a square? I mean, I think most humans are far more interesting with flaws. He he is this ideal. I suppose he's someone that, in an ideal world, and you know, perhaps his his attitude and his views on life and being after truth and justice in the American way that they, they are ideals that we should strive towards. But how they explore that, I think it's kind of left just that he is infallible morally. And this is where the, the choices bit comes in. But someone like that should be more interesting when they have problems or when they have an outlook on life that is contrary to that. I, I think you have a lot more fun when he becomes evil or a drunk Superman freak. I don't know. I mean, do, do you find that? Did he come across as too much of a goody-goody? Well, the fact that he he turns up at her place and he tells her off for smoking and he says that he's not going to drink and then the whole the whole thing of um the american way and um fighting for justice and and uh, you know we're on the same side and that you know i was sort of thinking that the whole thing ends up it's in i was sort of thinking it was interesting that that he's the one that kind of um makes her light up sexually because he's so he he he's obviously trying to He's trying to kind of keep her in line. He doesn't want her to to hurt herself or, or do anything risky. But then he takes her flying and drops her. So you can think, well, she could have had a smoke then. <laughs> I, I think that was a play on the, the old comics because there were advertising campaigns where Superman would be anti-smoking. That's interesting because I thought it all sounded a little bit like, you know, the sort of after-school... You know, the way we used to have those adverts about kind of make sure you look both ways before you cross the road, son, sort of thing, that he's a bit like that in the film. There is partly that and also partly uh, product placement for Marlboro. Um, right, OK. <laughs> which becomes quite prevalent in the sequel. Yeah, I mean, this this film, and we I, I think we joked about it very briefly in the Casino Royale episode, this film and the sequel were very heavy on product placement. Right, OK. Um, Okay. So, I mean, when, when Lois checks her watch when Superman's four minutes late, um, it's very clearly a Timex watch. So there's these kind of things. I think the smoking was uh, seen as a parody on that. But, yeah, it was. Uh, it must be a pain. I suppose that's a, a different <laughs> avenue of relationships to go down if you've got someone constantly correcting your behaviour if he can't accept you for who you are. <laughs> yeah. then, um which is, oh well, you wouldn't smoke. No one will fancy you if you smoke. It's um, that, that's a whole different movie. But um, 
Is that the sort of thing that would put you off if you light up? Uh, if, if they corrected me on my on my behaviour. So, someone suddenly stands on your balcony and blows out your cigarette or something <laughs> like that, and points out the the risks of cancer. I think I think it I think it probably would put me off a little bit. I mean, I'm not a smoker, but mm. but there's something about. I think that's the the only thing is that um by that scene you've become you've become fond of of Lois and her. She's a she's a gal about town. She's a hardworking New Yorker, and you quite quite like the idea of having her having her have a bit of grit, you know. And then when he turns up and she's in this sort of floaty dress, and he's sort of saying, "Oh, don't don't smoke or drink now," you know. Oh, you might get into trouble. You kind of feel a bit like, "Oh, you know, don't iron her out too much," because there's something about the the repartee that is that is lovely. As we as we said earlier, it's a bit like a um, scruple comedy, like his, his girl Friday or something like that. But you don't, and that's the thing you don't want Superman to kind of swoop in and be and be too kind of pro pro everything establishment if that makes sense but i don't know maybe maybe it, i mean what what do you think what do you think like how if you were in if you were in that position would it be would you prefer a girl to be sort of abiding by all the rules i mean f- from my point of view i i think th- there are certain things i suppose at that point smoking was becoming socially I wouldn't say unacceptable, but it was becoming an it was an issue around, I mean, beyond health benefits. But I mean, you know, within reason, you should generally try and enjoy that person. And if you feel like you need to change them too much, then maybe they're not the person for you. Yeah. I mean, there's difference i mean if, if it's a lifestyle choice you know i'm not suggesting that he should take up smoking to make her feel better no and i think it's, it's... fine to discourage her smoking as well i don't like you know it's i'm, I'm not in yeah. any way saying that superman should should be able to see her, her her lungs going going in the wrong direction and happily let that happen i think it's it would obviously be nice to warn her that that was happening i'm not saying that at all no i meant purely on a one-off date basis oh yes that would have been uh, that would have been one for the emergency phone call to him. <laughs> he just told he just told me to put me tab out, come and rescue me. I think now probably they wouldn't have um, maybe her having pink underwear would be seen as too overtly feminine. I don't know. Yeah, but again, there's there's something voyeuristic around that, and I know she invites it, which is not an excuse, but. There is the element that if he can see her underwear, it just becomes a little bit strange in the modern environment, I suppose. We know he has that power, so what's to stop him just sitting outside a, I don't know, somewhere where that would come in handy? <laughs> yeah, completely. I do wonder if she ever found out if he was faster than a speeding bullet. I do wonder. Do you have any theories about that? Yes, well, uh, <laughs> she, she, she saved that for the other podcast. Okay. Uh, well, um, uh, I assume then that the the rest of your bodily functions are normal? Well, as we shiftily edge back behind our lead planters and strive to make our submission deadlines for the Daily Planet, we leave you with a question. Why is it that we can't get it on with the good guys? I've been Kat. And I've been Rich. And this has been Don't You Want Me? 